listeners, this is your Patreon update for this week and your introduction to this week's episode. Uh, apologies for not posting anything last week. It was just, it was a busy week. It was a tough time. Yeah. Tough time. And like the weather's real nice. I think everybody should be enjoying outside. So sorry, we didn't provide a podcast for you to enjoy <laughs> for last week. But we have some great content for this week. There will be a pillow talk and it will be about something. It's going to be great, I'm sure. I uh, Maybe you can finally do either Pillow Talk After Hours or another full rendition of Pillow Talk. Where we uh, pretend to be pillows. Yeah. No, no, where you talk about pillows. Talk about pillows. <laughs> no, I don't understand where you got this. Let's all pretend to be pillows. <laughs> I think from. it was my idea, it's and I stick just, with it. It's the, most, it's the dumbest idea ever. What in the world would you talk about? Listen, I have I have been around three kids for most of the past like three weeks, and so everything is something, you know. Like this this one kid loves penguins. His penguin has a voice, and I like I have to talk to the penguin a bunch. So like, why would I not make up voices for my pillows? That just seems odd. That's fair. That's fair. For uh, this week's episode, we have a great conversation with Paloma and Mekna, who are the uh, director and producer for God's Love Split, which is a documentary about disaffiliations from the United Methodist Church after the 2019 General Conference. And I, I think it's a great conversation because I expected them to be real doom and gloom like us, and they aren't. Yeah, it's really cool. I really liked. Uh, I was I was not there for the entire conversation, but for what I was there for, I really thought was exciting. Yeah, and there's information about how to see their documentary. It's not able to stream anywhere yet because they're still going through uh, film festival circuits. But if you want to learn more about them, they're on Instagram at God's Love Split, and we'll include that in the links in the description. But if you want to do a screening, if you for for your church, say if you're associated with a church or uh, any other kind of area, maybe we'll be able to do a virtual screening through the podcast. I think that'd be cool. But if you're interested in seeing seeing the documentary and learning more about what they learned. Listen to this episode and then check out God's Love Split on Instagram. Boom. And now, here's the show. One, two, five, nine. Robin Breezer, Servant Leader, Rector, Reverend Deacon, Elder, what the hell? Listeners, this week, uh, continuing our conversations about LGBTQ people in the United Methodist Church and all that has occurred over the past couple of years, we have two documentarians with us to talk about their work and what they think about the future of the churches and all sorts of things like that. So I'm so excited to welcome both of you. Will you introduce yourselves in maybe about 20 seconds? Give us your names, your pronouns, and what you do. Hi, uh, my name is Mekna George. Uh, I helped produce and uh, film for Gazel Split. My pronouns are she, her, typically, but if a person wants to identify me as other things, I'm okay with that as well. Go with the flow kind of vibe. When it comes to my personal career, I am very much interested in the visual components of film. I like camera work. But um, after doing Gazo Split, I realized I do love producing and talking to people and connecting with people. And... Uh, documentary in general and capturing real life events and putting like a really heartwarming story together. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Okay, I pointed to you first in hopes that my dog would be quiet. So um, <laughs> I'm Paloma <laughs> Holub. I'm the director of this film and co-producer. 
And uh, my passion is actually writing, but I did a short documentary in high school related to this topic, which was like a passion project for me, which we'll probably talk about later. But I kind of fell in love with the documentary process. And so I'm really excited that it's, you know, like lifted up so much as it has currently. Yeah. And Paloma, what are your pronouns? Right, right. That's a very good question. That is such a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know myself, but she, her and they, them is totally fine. Perfect. Thank you for letting us know. I'm so excited to have both of you here. This is uh, the product of an interesting connection through Methodism. Um, But I'm so excited to hear about God's love split and and everything that went into making that. Um, And I am going to pitch it over to Ethan for kind of our first big question of today's conversation. Hello, friends. So I really want to know about uh, where you were raised in the United Methodist Church, like where do you come from? Um, and then uh, kind of connected to that, um, the the baptism confirmation, where were you baptized, where were you confirmed? I'd love to know all about that. So uh, I was born a Methodist. My, my parents were Methodists. They weren't raised Methodist, but they appreciated the, I believe the, you know, the doctrine theology of it. So I was born in the Methodist Church uh, in, a church in San Antonio, Texas, where I currently live now. And so I was baptized uh, as an infant, infant baptism, a long time ago, <laughs> and then confirmed when I was in middle school uh, around, I want to say 12 years old. And I remember, you know, asking a lot of questions about it at that point. And something that I always like to say around my confirmation was that my, you know, I asked my grandma what it meant to be confirmed. And she said, well, when you're baptized, that's your parents' sort of choosing your faith, but when you're confirmed, that's you choosing your faith for yourself. And so that kind of just stuck with me. And I started becoming more involved in the church after middle school and being more serious about my relationship with God. So that's sort of my background in the Methodist church. Can I ask you a question along those lines? What about church made you want to be more involved? I mean, that's not a, it's not necessarily a common story in the whole world. So what made you want to stick around and do more? Yeah, so um, I really, my church family and at this particular church was really amazing. Like I met a lot of really close friends there and it was just such a, a welcoming, strong community that I grew up with. I just really appreciated being like a part of that. It's a little bit different now, which we might talk about later with the whole split and everything. But back then it was just like my home away from home. Um, it was just everything that a community should be. Mm. And then also just the aspect of a relationship with God, like they talked about, I started just thinking about it as a kid and being like, you know, I, I want that. I want what they're talking about. I want to be more serious about it. And so I just tried to do the things that they would say to do, you know, like read scripture and and just pay attention during the sermons instead of talking to my friends. You know, I would just be like, this is something that I want to pursue or see if it's, you know, a, a good thing for me. I... I- the idea of wanting a deeper relationship with God and, and knowing there's all these different ways that you can pursue that and, and trying those out and trying those on for size. I think there's so much in the world that we, we want to cr- connect to something deeper, you know? And when, um, when we're raised in Christianity, when we're raised United Methodist, like we have a name for that and we have these like standard practices. Um, 
and I I just want to honor and affirm that like feeling inside you. I think that is it's it is wonderful to hear that spark that early in your life. Yeah, I really hope that that's something that other people are able to feel because I I honestly sometimes it's already getting a little bit off topic, but I appreciate that because I know that sometimes it's like oh it's easy for you because you were raised in that environment and yeah I guess that's true like hmm. I guess I never had to really struggle with my faith identity just because I was raised as a Christian, but it still feels like so real to me that it's just, that's why I hold on to it. Yeah. Mekna, what's your background? So my, my background's kind of, kind of the direct opposite of Paloma, but (laughs) Paloma definitely has been able to, uh, that energy that she had towards her own religion definitely uh, was spread on set and um, all of our interactions when we went out to go film. So I was born and raised in a Christian family, but I've fallen out of the Christian faith myself. But going back to church with Paloma for all of our films, like whenever we were shooting or um, talking to interviewees, I definitely uh, loved the energy of being back in church after a really long time and um, interacting with people that I, I, I had lost faith in like going to church because when I was younger and went to church, my church environment wasn't the greatest. So uh, after going to all of the churches that we went together, uh, Paloma definitely helped or guided me in understanding why church life was so uh, prominent in hers and why even during school she was good about going to church on Sunday and Wednesday. And, you know, it, I loved the people that was at church and it definitely made me feel like it, it rewrote my understanding of the church environment. I still am not, I don't think I will be following the Christian faith per se from that outcome. However, I am much more um, open to the idea of just going to church and not having like a, a predisposed um, judgment as I walk in through those doors. I, I truly enjoy going now and I love going with her. And uh, I think I think this documentary really helped me in that. And and it showed that there are accepting environments in all forms of ideology. Um, And, uh, but also in the same token, we'll talk about it later, but the split also has caused the opposite issues. You know, the, the, the things that I, you know, had an understanding or belief of uh, church environments to be, but that's where I lie when it comes to my Christian based faith. I hope that our listeners hear that perspective and receive it. It's not something we don't have many people come on. Most people we have come on are like, man, I was raised a Christian and boy, is it hard to keep doing it? But like, we're trying. And so to have somebody come in and be like, you know, Christianity isn't for me, but I can enjoy church and church people. uh, That is one fascinating to me, but also what a great thing for us to consider for people who are out there being pastors. Knowing that there are people who like, Maybe Jesus isn't their thing, but also like they're not out here to um, to be separate from us or to be be antagonistic in any way. Just, you know, they get it. And and that's that's powerful. So thank you for that. Uh, I was going to ask about General Conference 2019, especially for you, Paloma, to see how that interacted with your journey. And I don't know if that's something that will apply to you at all, Mekna, but yeah. What was General Conference like 2019? What did it spur in you? How did you live through that particular tragedy? Well, that's kind of the funny thing about this is that actually we didn't we didn't go to general conference 2019 and we weren't really involved in it at the time but then Mm. when we started this documentary like it all came like crashing back down onto me because 
of course, we needed to do like a ton of research for it. So I can't really talk about it in the particulars of like the emotional high that it was at that time, but it has affected us and me in the way that my uh, church that I was talking about earlier actually did disaffiliate this year. Um, And so as we're leading up to 2024, the next general conference, I'm definitely more like involved in wanting to see how this, you know, impacts the Methodist community, especially since it skipped that year, uh, like 2020 and COVID and all that. There's just so much going on. Yeah, I would love to get after we kind of talk through the documentary, I would love to get your read on how the delayed General Conference 2020 now in 2024 has kind of impacted things. But before we get into that, Ethan. So um, how did this documentary project start? Where where does where I mean, obviously, General Conference 2019, you mentioned that it plays a, a part and it's a it comes your words or comes crashing down where. um where does the uh, the that one catalyst moment begin for the documentary project? We we were doing a documentary class, so each semester we have a class, and uh, mm-hmm. our lovely teacher Scott Ballard was um, a big motivation for us, um, or like a supporting guide. Um, so for that class, we had to do a small documentary, right? And uh, we chose to talk to uh, one of the interviewees that's in the documentary. His name is Ben. Uh, He's part of the Trinity Church. And we asked him if we could interview him about his uh, personal personal, um, understanding and views on the LGBTQ team matters in general. Um, not, not, not as specific as we ended up doing later in the documentary itself when we were asking about how they felt about the disaffiliation process itself. But it was, it was more of just how he felt about the whole community being part of the Methodist church. Um, and after we had filmed that and made a smaller snippet for class purposes and saw the interaction and how it already had made people feel, we chose to widen that spectrum, interview more people, get in connection, uh, get in connect with pastor, um, pastor or district superintendent, Bob, I forget which one is more accurate. Superintendent. It's both. It's both. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, uh, one of our, um, crew slash friends, Milo, was really helpful in assisting um, us communicating with Bob and that allowed us to expand who we were talking to. Mm-hmm. And um, our and once we figured out that once Paloma had finally communicated with me exactly how she wanted the documentary to go through, and our question is the disaffiliation process and how that's positively affecting not just negatively because i feel like there's a lot of that being talked about and not necessarily the positive and one of our interviewees uh august he they had like a lot of um they had a lot of positive out- outcomes from this whole um disaffiliation process and i think that was something that was not being told as loudly mm. as other narratives yeah i was just gonna say i mean like this goes back kind of a long time for me because in high school you know is when i discovered my own identity as bisexual and I was, yes, woohoo. And so I was, you know, involved in church and I, you know, in the beginning in my freshman year, I was really discouraged because I was like, this can never work. You know, I can't Mm. be these two things at the same time. And so throughout high school, I was kind of like struggling with this a lot. And I didn't really know many people back then who were both Christian and identified as queer. So I, my senior year of high school, I was taking a film class and I decided to do a documentary, a very amateur documentary about 
people who identify as queer and also Christian. Because I just, where are they? I was like, where are they out there? I know there's got to be more. So yeah. I went out and I did that. And it was a passion project back then. And I really enjoyed hearing people's stories. And so uh, in this college class, I brought it up to Mekna in our documentary class. You know, I did this thing back then and and I'd kind of like to revisit it now. And so we did that whole interview with uh, Ben, as she mentioned. And, you know, to be honest with you, after that class, I was sort of burnt out on this topic a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Mm. But as we discussed our senior projects, it was it was Mekna who was like, you know what, this is this has potential and, you know, we should do something with it, but we should focus it more. And so that whole summer before our senior year, I was like, how should we what should we focus on in particular? And I just remembered, oh, yeah, like this major event is happening and it's happening in my own church and people are talking and things are going down. And so that's sort of where it started our senior year. And and the rest is history. We worked our butts off that year and and um, proud of it and proud of our team and what we accomplished from that little spark. I do remember um, when Paloma was feeling that burnout. When, <laughs> when she showed me the the high school video, uh, by the by the time we were being taught new tools, you know, uh, on how to be better at storytelling, and I was like, oh, I really truly see the potential in this. And um, at the time, of course, we were just gearing it towards class. But after that, I still was feeling the euphoria from it, right? Like filming it, being part of it, um, also being part of the community, not maybe not in a religious sense, but part of the LGBTQIA community. I I realized, okay, I still want this story to be told. I, I still want to hear more about it. But unfortunately, I'm not so aware of the UMC, UMC or any of its issues as much. So I really needed Paloma to like clue me in on it. And once she was like, hey, disaffiliation, that's a whole thing. And I was like, oh, well, that's tea. Let's that's that's what you want to follow, right? When it comes to documentary, and I was like, okay, that's our like string that we have to go with, not like the broad spectrum itself, because there's so many stories. And let's just say we had quite a bit of footage that we had to cram into 11 minutes. So if we had anything broader than that, we may have lost our mind in post. It, it was it was it was quite the journey. But everyone on our crew believed in the project through and through. They were all part of the community in some capacity, whether it was religious or others. Um, and we loved that. We loved that everyone had something to say uh, or contribute when it came to when we were actually living and breathing and filming and traveling for the documentary. It has occurred to me, and it's probably occurred to our listeners, that I am not 100% sure what the documentary is about. We have not introduced it. Yeah. Was that what you're about to do, Joe? I that was on my list of questions. So, um, yeah, I we do need you to to introduce God's Love Split and what's it about. We did at least say the name at the beginning, so that's yes. helpful. <laughs> Although I thought I thought you were talking about a documentary called The Gaza Strip, and I and I was like, The Gaza Strip. Who are we interviewing, Joe? I, I was like, this is, I mean, cool. I, these folks seem great, but like, you know, I didn't know we were, I didn't know we were that political. Mm. Uh, so will y'all tell us about, I have three questions that I think you can all answer together, which is one, where did you go to school? Two, how did y'all meet? And three, what is the documentary we've, we've been referring to, which we've called God's Love Split, but we really haven't detailed. So tackle those three. 
we went to Savannah College of Art and Design, which is located in Savannah, Georgia. You went to SCAD? Yeah, we went We're to SCAD. SCAD. <laughs> I love it. Uh, CJ, our, our, my friend CJ's best friend's wife goes to SCAD. And there's the connection. We've we done it. it. We've done it. <laughs> it's always the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's always yeah, shorter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, we graduated, uh, ooh, it's been three months now, four months? I have no clue. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, you know, striking all, there's the whole sure. shebang. So there's uh, a lag in other film related activities that we're doing but aside from that yeah that's where we graduated from uh the second question was how we met right mm-hmm. i honestly you know i don't know if you guys have seen this on social media but there's always the concept of when you're really good friends with someone you just forgot how it even started i remember uh, paloma's got a better memory <laughs> than me though um my strongest memory is when we created this documentary like that's when we tr- i felt like personally we were always working with each other. And then little did we know, honestly, almost every day we'd be working on this after that. So our, our relationship got stronger after that documentary class. And that was a starting point that I can remember. But Paloma, please tell me the I mean, actual that, origins. No, that's, that's everything you said is valid. But I do remember that we were in the same directing actors class in winter of 20. 22 yes 2022 and scott ballard the same professor put us in the same group together to do i don't i don't remember what we did but we were in the same group so that is how we met yeah definitely familiarity and that professor was like our common ground as well because um he's very supportive of our visions and that that energy and strength definitely like translated into our documentary class as well so we already went in without much hesitation while i feel like in the past like not in the past other people that i've seen had hesitations with their ideas for that class itself and any other documentary endeavors they did in in the future and so that was that was a really uh, match matches made in heaven i'd say yeah i know we're gonna talk about the documentary real quick can each of you give me like two sentences on why film and why documentaries what draws you to that art form two sentences that's difficult but i'm gonna try (laughs) i love storytelling i love to write i love to visualize it which i think is that that's how it connects to film for me i love seeing it actually unfold and Documentary I love because it's real and that sounds cheesy, but it's just true. It's just a real story. And I always say that documentary is more like finding the story than rather than it is creating the story. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a big part that draws me to it is that it's already there and it just needs to be told. Mm. During school, we both definitely had more of a narrative, like when it came to writing or our filming style. Um, that's what our school focused primarily on. Documentary was taught, but it wasn't as huge. Um, but once we did do documentary, I realized I liked the, the, the behind the scenes much more in documentary than I did in narrative. The connection that you made with crew members was just radically different. It, it was much more organic to me in a documentary setup. And uh, I'm, I'm very much a, a people person. I love talking. I love connecting with people. And uh, I feel like the documentary space allowed you to do that um, while you're recording and before. Because you had to prep your interviewees a little bit and, you know, make sure that they're comfortable with you. And um, just making jokes and making sure, like, you know, you know the person and not just, you know, you're not, you're creating a bond that, like, is everlasting because we still talk to our interviewees. In fact, Bob today had uh, emailed us talking about an updating 
us about potentially getting a press pass for the 2024 uh, conference. And yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that. And um, Ben, also one of the uh, interviewees, uh, are actually actually our first interviewee when it comes to um, the documentary. Um, He also um, invited us on his podcast. So like just seeing the connections that's going beyond just the film itself, really, that's what attracts me to documentary because I want to film all of these random things. I mean, maybe like wildlife uh, documentary. I can't. Hey, oh, water (laughs) seal that I'm talking to. (laughs) Like, I can't. I can't maybe do that. Ao penguin. Like, that's not gonna happen. But a little more difficult. Yeah, yeah. The human (laughs) connections and seeing someone else's environment and lifestyle and their beliefs. That's what I'm like attracted to when it comes to documentary. I love it. You've got to be careful, Mekna, because if you go to the 2024 General Conference, you're going to become a United Methodist. Like, like you're just, it's just going to happen because you, you'll be like, because General Conference is so horrible and amazing where you just sit around and you're, you're like, these people are out of their effing minds. Uh, but you're also like, oh, my gosh, I can. It's like it's like politics but like fun politics. And then you go out drinking and then there are people with, with, with pastors who are, who are like swearing like sailors. And then there are people who are like protesting sodomy on the streets. And you're just like, this is great. This is amazing. <laughs> like Vegas uh, for the UMC. Definitely an interesting way to put it. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, um, I'm not saying that possibility is not possible because uh, I feel like I've been more involved with UMC issues or just being aware of it or being in churches that are Methodist than mm-hmm. most of my other Christian up- upbringing. So I'm like more aware of the information in that lifestyle. And who knows, maybe I'll come out a Methodist at the end of it all. We'll, we, we will never know. You, sh- you don't have to believe in God. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm, I'm <laughs> suggesting that you become a United Methodist, uh, you know, which is very different. You know, it, they can go together, but they don't have to. <laughs> Got it. Anyway, oh, that's my, that's what I think. That was helpful. So tell us about God's Love Split. Tell us the, I guess, the elevator pitch for the documentary, what the thesis of it is. And I would love to know where the name came from. Oh, if it's the name, then it's me. I was going to so, say, I can take that first part and you talk about the name. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do the name <laughs> after. All Go. you, bro. Okay, so Gaza Split is a documentary focusing on, of course, the United Methodist Church and the disaffiliation process, but it's specific around the LGBT community and how really that's the major focus points of the disaffiliation. I know that many people will say that there's a lot of different aspects, which there are, but my knowledge is that this is really what the church is splitting over. And so uh, that is, we talk to various clergy members about their opinions on the split, whether they think it's going to be positive or negative, and how it is affecting their churches currently. So now the name, which we had a lot of, um, I wouldn't say backlash, but there was um, peers and teachers who were looking at it that gave us like a maybe don't do this title. Hmm. I thought God's Love Split was good because um, God is preaching a certain form of love through um, whether it's religious text or what pastors are, um, you know, translating to people who believe. Right. Um, but I, I wanted to say how people are splitting what they think this information is, right? And so mm-hmm. God's 
pure form of love is now being split by humans, right? And when I was introducing this idea to uh, a, a professor that we have is, who is also a pastor, he said, you should probably call it people's love split. And I was like, that doesn't have a ring. God's love split is definitely more enticing uh, for both who people who are and aren't religious. So I felt like you know, if I were if I were to scroll, what would I click? You know, and, and and at the same token, what three words would give me an understanding that this is a religious documentary? It is about love, and it's a, it's about it being broken, right? So it, I felt like it really got you to the point, right, or intrigued the right people. Um, and uh, I I kept telling everyone I I'm not going to call it people's love split or other forms that they gave me. I was like, it's okay for a little controversial. Um, and also coming from a background where I was kind of um, there's like scars I'd say from my own religious upbringing. Um, I felt like yes, God was always preached to me as an all loving being, but the way people were giving it to me made me feel like that love was corrupted in some capacity. So truly God's love was being split in that moment for me. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great name. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. I try. <laughs> Ethan, I wonder if you have any, any other theological reflections on that. I mean, I think the name is so evocative of the experience, but, yeah. I, but I also hear the criticism too. So I don't, I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah, no, I um, totally disagree with the pastor who gave you that very bad piece of advice, and and I'll happily have him on the podcast to tell him um, or her. I don't know. Um, no, I think the I don't really have like uh, Joe. I think you said it well, right? Like we're describing the experience of this. Like it doesn't matter if theologically it would be impious to think of, you know, God's uh, that there's that 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 God's love is, is actually uh, being tainted or split or, or screwed around with. And that it doesn't matter. That's theologically impious. That's, that's silly. Of course, people are screwing up and ultimately screwing up in my opinion. And ultimately the documentary is, is a documentary about people, right. And about religious people. You're, you're not interviewing God. We know that, but um but Joe, your your analysis, I would agree with. The experience tells us that it's God's love that's getting that's getting messed with and splitting. And so I think that's very good. Not just from a uh, which which documentary do I want to watch, which uh, documentary has the has the cooler title, but perspective. But from the you know theologically, yeah, we're describing we're describing the experience of disaffiliation and the experience that queer people and and the allies of queer people are experiencing this in you know in the disaffiliation if uh if um a queer person has spent their entire lives be feeling like they've been loved at a congregation and that congregation has decided that they want to move into a different direction (laughs) right they why wouldn't this person also experience it as a uh, uh, God's love being moved into a different direction. We, a couple, more than a few months ago now, we were talking about experiences of church hurt on the podcast. I was and, thinking about this too, yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I think a lot of Christian people, you know, myself included, uh, does uh, when we experience church hurt is we sort of rush 
without meaning to to say God's defense or Christ's defense, right? Where we say, well, it's people that hurt me. It's it's we we try to justify or rationalize in in ultimately true ways, I suppose, but we still kind of try to rush to to defend, you know, uh, the divine, right? And um, the problem with Christian theology is if we really take seriously Christian the, what Christians say the church is, which is the body of Jesus, you know, the body of Christ, then um, there is no difference between God hurting you and the church hurting you, right? Like it's it's sort of the same thing. If we take it seriously, like like yes, is the church Jesus? No, but also yes, you know, in a very important way. And so to experience the church's, uh, um, to experience some of these moments of disaffiliation as, as, as uh, uh, God hurting us, I think, or Christ hurting us, I think is perfectly appropriate. And that love, the love that we are seeing just does look, it looks bifurcated. It looks split. The um, the definition of love that you get from people who are disaffiliating, who are disaffiliating to go be global Methodist, I should clarify. That love looks like, you know, loving the sinner and hating the sin and, and all those kind of pieces that don't really look like what others might understand love to look like. And it, it does just look like two very different forms of love. I, yeah, I, I hear the criticism. I also think that, yeah, it's really reflective. So Ethan, I know that you need to leave in a couple minutes. Are there, is there any last question that you want to ask? Uh, no, I, I'm so excited about the documentary and I find you both very delightful. And so I'm very glad that we got to, even though I was only here for a little bit, that we got to have you on and and get both of your perspectives and the documentary out to our dozens and dozens of listeners. Of course. We find you guys delightful as well. Oh. <laughs> it was definitely a joy to talk to you as well. So you've talked a little bit about the people that you've worked with, the crew for the documentary. And I'm curious to hear... Uh, really what the process of the documentary recording it was like. So who you worked with, um, how you found the stories that you wanted to tell, how you found connections for interviews. Can you kind of walk me through how this happened? Yeah. Um, I'm going to let Megna take part of that because she's mostly the producer in this, but uh, as far as finding the people, we sort of, networked in like really funny and kind of strange ways we just like straight up ask people and email them on or message them on facebook and maybe you want to tell the story of how we reached tom frank eventually but um really it was through trinity church where ben was where i attended church in savannah and then it sort of branched out from there and the references that he gave and reaching out to our peers like we mentioned before uh milo their father is pastor, district superintendent Bob, and he had amazing mm -hmm. resources. And so it just sort of fell into place, honestly, which was really amazing. But and then if you want to talk about the trips that we took. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, my God. Why am I why am I blanking on his name all of a sudden? Uh, what? Who are we to August? No. Anime. Tom, uh, it's just <laughs> Tom. Yeah, sorry. It's like a, 
it's like a reference that we have an inside joke because uh, I did. Um, uh, so with documentary, it tends to be a skeleton crew. It's very, uh, very few hands on deck. Um, it helps with, you know, decreasing budget costs and so on and so forth. But also it just keeps the uh, whole interaction more intimate amongst crew. Mm-hmm. Um, but due to that and also just, you know, creating a documentary in a timeline in school format is more of a crunch than the typical documentary style. So rounding up crew at times could have been difficult so i ended up creating like uh, graphics that went into the documentary and uh tom one of the uh interviewees that we were ha- uh, talking to i created a graphic that we started referring to anime tom because it looked very um the style was closer to anime sometimes nice. um so that's why I, when i blanked that i said that um anyways with tom we reached out to him on Facebook and he was responsive. Um, and uh, he had this wonderful post uh, that kind of like bullet pointed the frustrations of being part of the church in some capacity, but also being like an academic. He's a professor as well. And mm-hmm. uh, he articulated uh, his point of view very well. And we wanted to keep this documentary in a very positive light as much as we could. I mean, of course, we want to shine the opposite side's perspective, like what, what the GMC would have thought. Um, um, unfortunately, um, we reached out. We didn't get that many responses in in the timely fashion that we did with the other interviewees that we did. Um, but Tom had more of a um, an interesting perspective in comparison to Bob Ben and uh, August and our, our our other interviewees. So we pursued that and realized uh, he's in North Carolina. Oh, <laughs> and that um, the church that we could film in the Haywood congregation, uh, they're also in North Carolina. And I was really a stickler about not doing a Zoom interview for our senior thesis. Good on you, though, I was honestly. Like, yeah, yeah, I was like, let's make this fun. Um, round up a smaller crew. And uh, we got uh, two crew members, Jordan and Tess. They were uh, assisting me with uh, camera work and lighting. And uh, we booked a hotel and went to uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, It was a four-hour drive, four-hour back. We did like um, a three-day weekend thing. And this is happening while school is occurring as well. So we had to make sure everyone got back for their Monday classes. And uh, we made the trek up. And uh, it was very enjoyable. We got like one day out of it to go check out Asheville very lightly. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had some interesting interactions. Haywood Congregation is very good about helping the homeless um, uh, population. Mm -hmm there um and when we went on saturday to scout the location um the people that we were talking to um from the church was not present and we were confused when we went in general it's uh four um four girls in a car with equipment there was quite a bit of a uh um you know you want to be safe than sorry right so we're traveling by ourselves away from people we don't really have a connection in north carolina that we can immediately run to if there was an issue so we were being extremely precautious i'm very much about safety on set and um while we were scouting we were not aware that haywood congregation had um people who are unhoused stationed outside the premises on saturday because on sunday what they actually do is they let them in let them feed them do on so so on so forth they get to charge their phones and things like that um so we walked in pretty carefully and someone had approached our car as we were exiting and said that they would give us money to bring them to connecticut i believe and that kind of made us a little scared because we were already personally on edge it wasn't that bad but um the next day we were like it's all good we're here so let's go try it again right and um 
texting and things in general just takes sometimes long. Some people don't respond immediately. So we were just like, did we just come and not like have responsive interaction? Right. But yeah, that's nerve wracking. Yeah, it is nerve wracking. It truly was. But I was like playing mama bear for sure. So mm-hmm. I was like, we're good, we're good, we're fine. I, and I walked through every single step. And it felt interesting for us to do something like that for the first time on our own without like an adult, quote unquote. I know we're adults, but you know what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. professor pres- presence or like being near our school. Um, but the next day was wonderful. It was It was a different type of church for sure. I felt like everyone was able to really express themselves and and no matter what their status or their their where their life is right now was able to um communicate and function together in the name of god and i was very intrigued by that environment and in fact um there's a lot of unseen footage we got um we got to film other pastors and other members of the Haywood congregation and how they felt, um, which we feel really sad that we weren't able to fit it into the shorter documentary. And we want to use that footage in tandem with if we can go film at the conference this uh, in 2024 mm. and create not a sequel, but almost like a an additional piece of film work and see what that also brings. But the Haywood congregation was definitely uh, the highlight, I'd say, out of in the sense of the whole experience out of all of our interviewing uh, experience. I love that. I When I was serving as a pastor, I served about an hour west of Asheville. So I was one district over from Asheville's, I think, in the Blue Ridge District, and I was in the Smoky Mountain District. But uh, so I'm familiar with the Haywood congregation and the work that they do. They're, I mean, they're really well known around the conference for for that outreach and the way they do it. Yeah, I so I I have not seen the documentary. Is it out in the world available for people to watch? No. So um, since it's being uh, at film festivals right now, once it's done with its film festival circuit, then it will be able to be uh, for public viewing. Um, however, this could be also included in the podcast. If there are churches that want to um, reach out to us via our Instagram or email, then we can have a conversation about private viewings because um, August, one of our interviewees had an, uh, had two weekends at their church being um, a private viewing. In fact, uh, one of the private viewings, we ended up on the local news and the news had also asked us if um, they could uh, use clips and August was wonderful at communicating, unfortunately not at this moment. But yeah, there was a small little news snippet talking about our documentary and we were very happy to see that the people who had seen the documentary definitely got the message that Paloma wanted to, you know, get across. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, But yeah, yeah, it was was chilling actually. It really was. See people... To see people repeat exactly the message that Paloma was trying to get, which Paloma can elaborate um, more on that uh, experience. Yeah. um, So I just remember when we first started the project and, you know, I was still kind of feeling that burnout, not really sure what direction I wanted to take it in. And we just had a conversation and we were like, well, what what do you want people to feel from this film? And I, I was like, I just want people to know that God is love, like no matter what happens, no matter like whatever it's just love god is equal with love and so to hear you know people say that that's what they got from it to feel like love to feel um like they identified with that message it was just really affirming um and i forget the i i should have rewatched it before we did this podcast but like the exact quote of from the news from the news like real was 
it really it, it like gave me chills you know like saying that you know that's what i got from this film is that love is at the heart of everything i guess <laughs> mm. yeah it's amazing when somebody just gets it you know that you have done so that your work not only reflects um your passion and your vision but it also communicates that to others yeah that was a big stressor for me personally i know megna can attest to the fact that i was like i don't know if you know, this makes sense. I don't know what we're doing anymore. There are many nights that we spent editing and re-editing, which also real quick, I just want to shout out our editor, Sophie. She's amazing. She spent countless hours in the middle of the night with us and in our insanity. And she's a big reason why this works. Um, so yeah. I can't thank our crew enough for helping me find that, that message and bring it out. Our editor and Paloma and I literally sat in a room for eight hours and it did not have a window. So we did not realize that we had come in when the sun was up and we left when it was totally gone. And it was like mind numbing because like we didn't even like, we were so, I mean, of course there's the timeline pressure, you know, due dates. But aside from that, we were so invested in making sure that the story was told as best to our, you know, uh, ability that we didn't really think about eating, you know, we would just use the restroom when we needed it. But aside from that, we were like grinding for eight hours straight because we loved the story so much. So yeah, we absolutely love our crew for how, how dedicated they were to, you know, giving up their weekends and their time, especially in a busy school format. Um, the, the thing about the documentary, yeah, Paloma was definitely, um, wondering if the message that she was trying to put out was being put out properly. I always believed it was. And also with documentary, I, definitely think it should not be spoon fed to the audience i think uh the whole the whole point of a documentary experience um depending on the topic sometimes but is that the audience really should be able to think for themselves right um mm. narratives can sometimes be more guided than that um and i really wanted to give information and let audience put pieces together and so i was always uh the champion of like let's lay back how much we spoon feed um but of course, with criticisms from peers and teachers, we kept things a little bit more uh, uh, obvious. But I was so happy that I, I was always scared. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not like spelling it out per se in this part. I really hope the audience gets it as well. Um, and, 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 and I just secretly kept confidence for Paloma. I'm like, I swear, I think the, the message is definitely there. And I'm, it was it was crazy for us when we when we saw the newsreel and I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what we wanted. Oh, that's so good. Oh, I'm, I'm just so excited. Definitely at the end, we'll talk again about how people can either get access for a private showing or when people can expect to see it out, out and about in the world. So what without spoiling anything from from the documentary? What did you, what were your, your biggest surprises over the course of filming? And what did you, uh, what did you learn as you talked to people beyond that? Like love is at the core of this. What, what kind of mm, maybe facts or viewpoints did you learn that you either weren't expecting or wanted to make, make sure that you highlighted? That's a really good question. I'm thinking <laughs> the, the wheels are turning. Yeah, take your time. 
while I guess while Palomo's wheels are turning, um, something that from an outside perspective from the UMC that I was um, uh, very intrigued by was, like I said previously, I mean, when I was doing my own research about the UMC, uh, aside from talking to Paloma, the narrative about the disaffiliation process being negative was wild. And hmm. after talking to August, the, August is part of uh, the church, um, or, well, Paloma, you might have to help me with this. Um, was it was it August's church that was first, or was um, so the other church that was the it, first? It, Asbury was first, um, Asbury Memorial. And then there's, I believe, I don't remember the exact term that they, is it a sister church that is Wesley Oak? Or like a church that came from Asbury and is now Wesley Oak. It could be a church plant. Yeah, I, I forget the exact. Okay. Yeah, we personally don't know the <laughs> the church vernacular for this, but uh, August the the church that August chooses to speak at um, um, was part of uh, Asbury Memorial in some capacity, and Asbury Memorial was the first church to disaffiliate from the UMC, and they disaffiliated for the positive effect. They did not join the GMC. Uh, they wanted to just be loving and accepting, and couldn't wait around for the UMC to get around to that uh, mm. uh, same consensus. And it was it was so wonderful to talk to uh, a person of the community in both aspects feel such a positive outcome from disaffiliating. And it wasn't for a more conservative ideology of not accepting the LGBTQI community. So I think that was shocking for me because I always felt like in my own personal journey, church would never really be accepting. And the fact that there was... Um, people higher in the ladder, right, that was willing to go through um, more obstacles in order to provide a more safer environment for churchgoers. That was, that was, that was unique to me. And it was mm. out of left field. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and that is, that's something that I think people have really forgotten over the course of the past four years, I guess, <laughs> is that the the terms that were in the traditional plan were laid out so that progressive congregations could leave. You know, the um, yeah. it was laid out so that the traditionalists would keep the church and the progressives would take their toys and go. And really the story of disaffiliations has been the opposite of that as, as things have progressed. And I'm just so glad that you have that kind of documentation of of this early early movement to uh, we're not going to wait around for the church to become affirming like we have seen what has happened and we are ready to go be who god has called us to be i'm glad that's in there yeah honestly that was shocking for me too you know just seeing that the switch i remember talking to august about it and i was like you know i'm going to be frank with you i'm confused myself i'm part of this community and i don't really know what's going on so explain this to me and, and he's like yeah it's it's confusing. They some people are leaving for completely opposite reasons, and so that was shocking to me as well. For example, Tom has the opposite view. Tom believes that more of a conservative, the con conservative part of UMC is leaving to the GMC. That's what his understanding is. But when we had a conversation with other members, we realized that the first wave, right, when um, when Asbury had disaffiliated um, from UMC the first wave of churches that were going out were more progressive. They wanted a more accepting environment. And it's almost as if the more conservative parts were banking 
on that flow and became the second wave. And that became more of a, a louder voice in the in, in media outlets, because I feel like media in general and a, a lot of um, films like the negatives, because for some reason, uh, humans, right, mm-hmm. uh, definitely likes to subscribe to the wrongs of what's happening in the world, right? And I feel like there was just more of attraction in the media about the conservative parts leaving the UMC. While no one was talking about how it was done, not no one, but it almost died down as as the conservatives were leaving the UMC. And that was so intriguing to me, to hearing both sides. But because... Because Tom wants everyone to stay in the UMC, right? Mm. Stronger in in power, I mean, stronger in numbers and also that we should, or at least from my understanding, the UMC's uh, uh, understanding is that we should all have different aspects or point of views in our life, but be able to coexist. And that creates a stronger uh, religious base, right? Instead of like separating into different, different tiny sections and concentrating only our like-minded beliefs in one area because that limits growth. That's what his perspective is, or at least that's what I understood his perspective to be. And I agreed and I understood that, uh, but also was unfortunate that he felt that only conservatives were leaving the church at the time. Yeah. And that he didn't see the the kind of breadth of experience. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, so this this leads me to a couple of different questions getting into, I guess, the, the messiness of talking about this topic. This is primarily for Paloma, but Magna, if you have if if you have wisdom on both of these topics, uh, you can let me know. So Paloma, I what keeps you in the United Methodist Church, having seen really having dug into these disaffiliations and for both of you, what do you hope for the future of the UMC and for queer Christians? Yeah. So honestly, that's a really good question that I've kind of been asking myself throughout this project. And I, I think it's twofold and I will be totally honest. I think a lot of it comes from just the fact that I was raised in the United Methodist church, that it's familiar to me, that it's comforting to me in a way. And that, you know, there are, Methodist churches out there that are affirming and that I feel truly welcome in, such as Trinity and Savannah and a new church that I found here in San Antonio. Um, So I really love that there are still good groups out there. And I also really admire the theology of Methodism, you know, the Wesley quadrilateral, especially like experience sort of shaping our relationship with God. It just always made sense to me. Mm. And I know that could, of course, be, you know, applied to in other faiths. You know, of course, you could be non-denominational and still believe that. But I guess it's just that mixture of familiarity and, and the doctrine that's kept me in the United Methodist Church and the churches that I found, again, that are so accepting. Um, and so that is what I hope for the future. And I guess it is a complicated question because I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, if, if the United Methodist Church did, you know, disunite and for lack of better terms and just be a non-denominational Christian community, I wouldn't think that would be all bad. I would just hope that in general, as we move into the future, no matter what denomination or what religion you identify as, that 
we are able to just look past all of the small details that keep us separated from each other and just try to see each other's differences as, you know, something beautiful, something that God has put inside each of us. In the very least, just let go of, you know, the hatred that comes with it. I mean, I've never understood how if you believe, even if you believed that being gay was wrong, I just don't understand the hatred that comes from it. Like the absolute, like, mm. if you're going to believe that, at least do it in a nice way. You know, um, So that's what I just hope that people would just be connected and just honestly, honestly, just love no matter what you identify with. So my perspective is um, I hear the side that talks about how disaffiliating process was a more positive effect. And then I hear the other side that says that, you know, it's better to be in a more uh, variety uh, point of view and being part of the same congregation and um i'm at the end of it, it all is like a you do you kind of thing right for me i think um definitely something that i have changed my perspective on is that i thought all church not was bad but just was not a safe environment for a person with my point of view right and at the end of this i've realized mm. just keep searching right be careful of who, who or what church you are uh, subscribing to, but just keep looking because you will find the right church. If if religion is something that you definitely want to pursue, right, and 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 have like a certain sort of uh, ideology, like like the quadrilateral, the, the the quadrilateral, yeah, <laughs> the quadrilateral, right. Like if that's a part of the UMC or Methodist churches that you enjoy, right, keep searching and find that church that hopefully is accessible and close enough to you that you can go to, and you will find the right fit. Because I didn't think that in Georgia or in Texas and in, in states that I was not expecting that I would find such a community uh, or, or see that someone of a religious background could find such a community. And at the end of it all, it's just keep searching and know what church you're part of, because at the end of the day, you always have that choice of subscribing to a specific church. Yeah. You both sound so hopeful. Do you feel hopeful? I honestly do. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I guess it's just like what I want to focus on I know that there probably are reasons to not be hopeful but I just really can't help it <laughs> I think after this documentary I've become more hopeful Paloma can, can attest to this I was definitely more of um, not cynical but I definitely was a little less hopeful uh, in comparison to Paloma I was always uh, looking at the negatives of things. And I realized, wow, this world definitely has fed and fed me into that narrative. And, mm -hmm. uh, after being with Paloma and filming for so long and, and having such a wonderful crew and interviewees, I realized that there is hope. And I think we are just turning our, our eyes away from it. But truly, if we're willing to try, we can find hope in anything that we choose to follow. Yeah. I listeners of the podcast will laugh when I say that that's a good word to go out on, but I think that's a great place for us to for us to take away from this conversation. That like y'all have been out there, you're doing the work and asking questions and getting these stories and it didn't leave you uh, you know crumpled in the fetal position on the floor in hopelessness, right? That you there there was I guess an opening of perspective. And I love thinking about that. Like I I love that that is something that in the midst of of your senior year and getting everything done and getting a capstone done that you walked out of it hopeful. Yeah, for sure. And again, I just really appreciate like the people that we interviewed because they're, they're the ones who make me hopeful, like people who are 
other people who are out there doing the work and putting in the effort and showing me that it's possible, that's what gives me a lot of hope as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's easy to forget that. I think um, we, I mean, we've talked to a lot of people who have worked for LGBTQIA inclusion in the United Methodist Church and boy, it's, it can be really hard. It can really drag down on your spirit. Right. Um, But to know that like that witness still matters and that, that you um, persisting in the work still has an impact in the world, even if you're not seeing that impact. I hope people take, take courage from that. Yeah, I hope so too. So is there, before I kind of ask you to uh, tell us where people can find you, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we have not touched on in our conversation? Um, No matter what your perspective, whether you're accepting or not, right? If you can do it kindly, right? And are willing to have a conversation and not an argument, I think we can all grow from each other. And as long as our goal is not trying to immediately change someone's perspective, but just sharing how you feel and let that person come to a conclusion on their own, I think that will go many more miles than going in with an argumentative mindset when having a conversation. Because anyone who we interviewed, they were all very kind, no matter how their perspective was. And that made us want to listen. And if you're willing to listen, that helps and that helps so much more than just going up with your defenses. Yeah, that's that's wise. And that's something that I think people forget the more entrenched we get in our different separate spaces, you know, the more entrenched we get in our split, the more difficult it is for us to have conversations. Mm-hmm. But if we can walk in with that generosity that you, you both experienced, that makes a whole world of difference. Definitely. Paloma and Mekna, thank you both so much for coming in and talking about your work and exploring all of this with us. I have loved talking with you. We will have to have you back on at some point in the future once the the strikes are all over and you're launched into your careers to tell us about (laughs) how things are going. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you guys for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find you? The easiest way to contact us and keep updated with our documentary is to go to God's Love Split on Instagram. That's God's Love Split, lowercase, no spaces. And there you will be constantly updated. And in our bio, our email is accessible for you to contact us if you want to have any private uh, viewings at your church. You could also find our website. Um, Soon it will be updated and posted on the bio as well. And there, there will be um, a donation link that will help us with any uh, post-production costs or us um, recouping costs that were created while filming the project. We'll definitely plug your Instagram, share that everywhere so that people can stay updated and follow how things are going. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, thank you both again. This has been great and I am going to sign us off. Listeners, this has been an episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe and Mekna and Paloma and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schoenwolf, performed by Joe Schoenwolf, Ian Oriola, and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola. Rate, review, and subscribe to us on the podcasting app of your choice. Find us across the social internet at WTHIAP. And visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon merch playlist and more. 
Our special thanks to our Patreon subscribers, Nick, Justin, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Sam, Jory, Tara, Rachel, Abby, Peter, the Reverends, Langenstein, Annalise, and Ian. Your money makes the show happen. Yes, it does. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, not everyone is as hopeless as millennials are. Literally, Paloma and I had to constantly have the battles of the rainbow because I'm like, no, it no, I rainbow. literally She's told like, her that it, there's too much <laughs> rainbow on our project. I literally had to say it's too much. <laughs> never. And I was like, girly, there is never enough rainbow, okay? <laughs>